Lord, we worship you. Come on with hands lifted in this room. I think right now we just need to take a few moments just to magnify and thank our God for his goodness and his faithfulness. Lord, you stay the same. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, you never change. And Jesus, we worship you. We worship you. Come on, lift your voice this morning, church. Maybe some of you don't know, but we are a Pentecostal church in this place. And right now, that means that we need to lift our voice and magnify our God. Come on, let's use the voice that God gives given us to worship and exalt his name. Come on, with hands lifted. You may need to press in this morning. You may need to come out of your comfort zone this morning. But God has called us out of darkness into light. And he deserves our praise. He deserves our glory. He deserves all the adoration in this place this morning. And there needs to be some people that are saved this morning that are going to lift up the name of Jesus. No longer are we going to be hidden. No longer are we going to hide our voice. But I'm going to magnify my God. Come on, I need some saints to help me in this place. I'm going to magnify my God. No matter the circumstance. Because my God has been faithful. My God never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the King of all kings. He's the Lord of our lords. up and sing.
for your love. It is the love that will never let us go. Father, have your way this morning. In your name we pray and everyone said, amen, amen. Turn to one next to you and say, I'm thankful for the love of Jesus. Amen. that our moms would take time to be in church with us this morning. And I just want to make a couple of comments. I know full well. I watched probably a dozen Mother's Day videos. And I thought, I don't know of any mom that measures up on every count. And I don't know any dad that measures up uh, even less. <laughs> it's this perfection. And I didn't want this morning for any mom to feel like you didn't measure up or to add to someone's pain because their mom was terrible. A, little, a young lady came up to me a couple weeks ago and she said, how do you forgive your mom for all the things that she's done in the past? So I know that there are wounds and I know this is what I know. You're here because you love Jesus and you are the love of God to your family. The Bible tells us that God likens his love to a mother. Paul likened his care to a mother. Love and care comes into the home in the hands and heart of a mom. And thank you for being that. And that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to love Jesus. And some of you have changed the impact, the trajectory of your household in one generation. Thank you for doing that. Finding Jesus and leading your household in a whole new, in a whole new direction. So we love you and thank you that you're here um, this morning. We have a gift for you as um, moms. If you would uh, just stand for a moment. Uh, as our youth come to give you a gift to thank you for being here. Who's this for? Biological moms, foster moms, moms who've adopted, uh, moms who are expecting your first child. I don't know. We're watching to see if anyone stands up that surprises me. <laughs> Just a way of saying thank you. And to all of the dads, that's for her, not for you. Okay, a cupcake. And... As soon as you have your cupcake, you can be seated. I'm going to have you stand one more time. This is your uh, aerobics class this morning. But I came across a video that I thought was really fun. You can be seated. As soon as you have your cupcake, we're swinging across over here. Don't want to miss anybody. But a video that, that decided to illustrate what it would be like if you took all the wisdom of a mother and put it into a personal digital assistant. So instead of it being Alexa... It's the wisdom of mom in a personal assistant. Well, it's finally happened. You've moved out. You're on your own. Congratulations. But everyone still needs a little help sometimes. Mom, have you seen my wallet? It's in your back pocket. Nah, I checked there. Your other back pocket, dear. Ah. 
Thanks, Mom. Introducing the Mom Personal Assistant, the only smart speaker device with all the wisdom, caring, and sage advice of a mother. Mom, please call Brad. Honey, I'm just not sure he's right for you. Just call him. Okay, calling Ryan. No, Mom, I said call Brad. Trust me. The Mom PA always has your best interests in mind. Wish me luck, Mom. Big interview today. Did you eat breakfast? Uh... Is that what you're wearing? Wait, what? Did you even shower? She's there to provide a helping hand whenever you need it. Mom, set a timer for 40 minutes. Mom? The Mom Personal Assistant won't function until you say the magic word. Oh, right. Mom, please set a timer for 40 minutes. Sure thing, hon, but it's only 30 minutes for that dish. The Mom PA is always correct and basically knows everything. Mom, what setting should I use for this laundry? Mom, do you think I should color my hair? Hey, Mom, can you please order mac and cheese? You still have two boxes. What? No, we're out. Did you look? Yeah, I just looked. It's gone. Do you want me to look? Uh, no, no, it's okay. I'll go look again. Try looking with your eyes this time. Based on God's perfect design, the mom personal assistant is thoughtful, kind, encouraging, and supportive. You are beautiful. It's okay. You're gonna get through this. I am so proud of you. You can change the world. But right now, hon, you really need to change your socks because they smell like a dumpster. Ugh, mom. The mom personal assistant. Always helpful, always reliable, and always there for you. I'm sure there are a number of moms who feel like that's what you are. You're just a personal assistant to everyone in the household. But we're so glad you're here today demonstrating your faith. We love you and are honored that you're part of our family. Would you indulge me and stand one more time? just so that we can pray for you. And would you, um, those of you that are seated around, would you just extend your hand toward one of our moms this morning? Jesus, we're so grateful for your love for us. We're thankful for these mothers who have chosen on this special day to take time, first of all, to honor you and to demonstrate before the entire world their love for you and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I know that there are times that they have sacrificed and they have shed tears and they've paid a price that no one will ever know about. But you've kept their prayers and you've kept their tears before your throne and you will honor that. I pray this morning that a special anointing and blessing from heaven will abide upon them. That in the year that's ahead that the promises and prayers that they've held so close will come to pass in a way that surprises them and honors you. We ask for your love and blessing to be spowed on them today in Jesus' name. And everybody said? One more time, let me hear your best. Give it up for our moms today. Well, we're going to, in just a moment, turn to 1 John, and I, I want to tell you a little story to set up uh, the video. Uh, do you know that sometimes it's the little things that matter? So Carol and I were in a restaurant this week, and there was a single guy and a couple older, and uh, they thought we were someone else, came over and talked, found out they were both pastors. And uh, one of them said, so what's your Mother's Day message? I said, well, I'm still, I'm just going through First John. I tend to not do that. He said, well, that's great, because you remember that John was the disciple that Jesus entrusted his mother to. The disciple whom Jesus loved. So that was really worth my going to lunch. 
And then I just want to encourage you, as we're going to talk about love working out in community, that sometimes it's the little things that matter. The other gentleman who was sitting there let us know that his wife had passed away in March in the midst of COVID. And he said he took her to the hospital. She had diagnosed with cancer, took her to the hospital and had to leave her there. And some of you know firsthand how tragic that was during COVID, where you couldn't go in, you had to leave them and walk away. He said, I was driving down university, lives in Altoona, driving down university. And I was depressed and discouraged and asking God to help me. And he said, I drove by your church. And at that moment, the sign came on. And it said from 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. And he said, that was a word from God for me in that moment. Keep the sign lit. You never know where your action will bless someone. And moms, you never know the little things you do day by day that no one ever mentions or ever talks about might be like that sign. That years later, you'll hear how their life was touched because it's about love and living love in community. this morning it's easier to love God than love people <laughs> John is calling us into biblical community and I want to re-emphasize why we're going through this series right now following um, this series we're going to begin to talk about relaunching home groups because I'm convinced of a couple of things number one I'm convinced that discipleship happens best in a small group environment. And I also think the safest place you can bring a friend is into a home. And we have tried to launch this and relaunch it, and uh, this time we're going to give it a little different approach. But without biblical community, the church isn't fulfilling its calling. And here's what I envision. I envision small groups that are meeting in trimesters all around the city that are investing in each other, they're taking time to pray together, study the word together, and fellowship together. And in one of their um, trimesters, also having an outreach component. Because it's become increasingly clear that we are not made for uh, quarantine, we're made for community. And we need to take this opportunity to rebuild that. And secondly, that pastoral care or care for the body can't happen from the office. It has to happen from a relational context. 
and the number of people who call Brian our home, we need to create a network of small groups that are keeping involved in the lives of people. So our small group leaders won't just be a Bible study host, they'll be providing pastoral care and love to the body. And so I want you to be thinking about that. I'll be doing training with leaders the middle and end of the summer so that we can launch those uh, probably in September that will be ready to go. But I want you to see why it matters. So this is an intentional series that community is where the body of Christ experiences the fullness of discipleship. God didn't intend the church to be a place where you just come and sit and listen and go out to lunch but that we grow together in large group worship and experience God together, and we grow in small group community. There are some things that can't happen without koinonia. And we've been talking about that, we'll be talking about that in First John. And the first of those we talked about last week was the fullness of joy. We have to receive the truth, walk in the light, and confess our sins. We don't have to be perfect. We need to receive the truth, walk in the light, and confess our sin. And as we're living in that light, we will experience God's fullness of joy. Chapter 2 says that koinonia will produce in us perfected love. That love is perfected in the context of community. Now, over Easter and following Resurrection Sunday... We talked about the power of love and how love reigns. Remember on Resurrection Sunday, we said that love reigns over death, hell, and the grave. And over the next three weeks, we talked about how love reigns over your past, how it reigns over your present, how it reigns over your future. But there's a component in that that we need to explore a little further, and that's this, that love is perfected not on Sunday morning, but in a community context. That love was intended to be lived out with other people and in relationship with other people. The word love in, the, in 1 John and the NIV is used 24 times. And it becomes very, very clear that it should be worked out as we live together. That same theme is repeated in 1 John chapter 4. He tells us that it is possible that God's love is made perfect or complete in our lives. That's the will of God, that he wants his love made perfect in our lives. We don't always get that right, though. Hello? We don't always get that right. Sometimes our Bible verses don't measure up with what we intend. I read about a mom who wanted to calm her nervous daughter at the reception to the wedding, and she had a particular verse of Scripture she wanted inscribed on the wedding cake, and she wanted it to say at the reception um, this verse from 1 John. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Well, the baker taking the order wasn't really a churchman and didn't get the details down right. And so instead of 1 John 4, 18, he wrote down John 4, 18. That's a very different verse. It says, when she picked up the cake, for you've had five husbands and the one you have is not your husband. <laughs> number one there makes a big difference. And so we've got to live out love in the context of community and details matter in issues of love. So in chapter 2 of 1 John, he tells us here's the essence of love. What's going to help us perfect our love? Well, carries on the similar theme from chapter 1 and it starts with this. If you really love God and want to grow in love, 
You have to obey the truth. You have to obey the truth. Love doesn't grow in a context of deceit or rebellion. First verse, after coming off of 1 John about how we have an advocate with the Father, just so we don't misunderstand it or mistake it, says, I write this to you so that you will not sin. We do not have to sin. Chapter 1 is not an excuse for sin. It's the antidote for sin, but it's never the will of God that you commit sin. Now, I am glad that hospitals in certain areas of the country regularly carry a, 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 a remedy, an antidote for a snake bite. If you're in certain parts of the country, the emergency rooms just have those on hand. How many are glad if you were in certain places that they'd have that for that rattlesnake bite? But that doesn't mean they want you to get one. We have some extra vaccine, and we'd appreciate it if about 130 people could go out today and get bit by snakes so that we can use up our supply. That would be ridiculous. Chapter 1 isn't saying it's okay to sin. It's saying when you do sin, there's an antidote. But the will of God is that you not sin, that you live in a different context. And that we do have an advocate with the Father. If you do, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So I want you to feel that this morning. John is trying to take the pressure off and say, if you sin, there's an advocate, but the goal is to not sin. Does that make sense? If you do sin, don't run away and hide where God has to find you. Run to Jesus. Run to the altar because what you'll find there is not a prosecutor. You'll find there an advocate who will meet you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So after saying that again in the third verse, verses 4 to 6, he says to us very clearly that if you love him, you will obey him. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. I've shared this before. I think it bears repeating. Not, we, were not, we were not perfect parents. We didn't do everything right, but there were some things we tried to do and instill in our kids, and one of those was simply this. When my children would apologize for doing something wrong, my response, and you might think this is callous, but my response is, I'm glad you're sorry, but what I want to see is a change of behavior. If you love me, you'll obey me. Unless it's ungodly or it's something wrong. And the best way, moms, isn't this true? The best way your children... <laughs> can show their love is not a bouquet of flowers, but rather cleaning their room when you tell them to. <laughs> Taking out the trash, picking up the dog piles, doing what they're told to do, doing the right things and obeying. Because if you love someone, you're going to express that by living in harmony with their desires and their needs. So those who claim to know him and live contrary to truth do not love him. Love is made complete as we learn to obey. And so John does this series of contrasts in this chapter. So let me, let me make this one really clear. It's not, well, I love God, but I have a hard time obeying. No. If you have a hard time obeying, it's because the love of God isn't in you. It's not you saying, well, I, oh, man, worship was great. I just felt God all over me. Well, that is wonderful. 
But if it doesn't change what happens out there, it doesn't matter what happens in here. In the old days, we used to say, Pastor Larry, you'll probably remember this, it doesn't matter how high you jump unless you walk straight when your feet hit the ground. It's not the emotional experience as important and valid as that is. And here in Iowa, in the north, reserved northerners could use a little more jumping high. We could do a little more of that, but it's about obeying him. And so if you want to be perfected in love, it starts off with the idea of obeying what he says. You have to obey the truth. Then second, you have to love your brother. And verse 7 tells us this, that... He said, I'm not giving you a new commandment. This isn't new. Love your brother isn't new. You saw in the video, the first four of the Ten Commandments are about loving God. The last six are about loving your neighbor, loving your brother. You say, well, where does that come from? You see, we have this mistaken notion that the Old Testament is filled with judgment and heavy-handedness, an angry God on a throne throwing lightning bolts to the earth because he's just angry with us. Listen to what Leviticus, that book that some would like us to just do away with, says. Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God. I am the Lord. Do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Do not go about spreading slander among your people and do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Rebuke your neighbor frankly so that you will not share his guilt. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but... Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything ahead of that is what? That's what love looks like. If I love someone, I won't defraud them. If I love them, I won't cheat them. If I love them, I won't harm them. That the idea of loving God and loving your neighbor isn't a new commandment. John says, this isn't a new revelation. It's what the Old Testament is founded upon. If you go to Matthew chapter 22, an expert of the law tested Jesus with that question. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he's not talking about, he is not talking about New Testament revelation. It's a teacher of the law. What is the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on those two commandments. And the teacher of the law responds to that. Yes, that's what it all hangs on. Loving God and loving your neighbor. You say, well, that's how Jesus interpreted. No, it's how the Old Testament teachers interpreted. Because if you go to Luke chapter 10, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. And he said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says to a teacher of the law, an Old Testament teacher of the law, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the Old Testament teacher of the law said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered correctly. 
So what I've just demonstrated to you is it came from the Old Testament. Jesus amplifies it from the Old Testament. And the Old Testament teachers of the law recognize that as the foundation of all of the Old Testament. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But when this teacher of the law with his own mouth testifies that that's the heart of the law, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do that and live. And he says, and who is my neighbor? Isn't that the question? Isn't that always the question? We try to find the loophole. Got to love my neighbor as myself, but who is my neighbor? And it slides right into the story of the Good Samaritan. And that's a hard thing. It's new, but it's a hard thing. Barbara Brown Taylor, in in a book, An Altar in the World, A Geography of Faith, says this, the hardest spiritual work in the world, the hardest spiritual work in the world is to love the neighbor as the self. To encounter another human being, not as someone you can change, someone you can use, someone you can fix, someone you can help, someone you can save, someone you can enroll, someone you convince, someone you can control, but simply as someone who can spring you from the prison of yourself if you'll allow it. What are people out there for? For you to love them. Not to fix, change, control, use, recruit. So verse 7 says, that's not new. It's not new. Loving your neighbor is not new. But verse 8 seems to contradict that. And yet I'm writing a new command. It's truth is seen in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. How is it new? It's new in this way. Because you couldn't do it under the Old Testament law. You were broken. But we live in a day that it is possible because the true light is shining. Jesus is alive in us. We have to learn how to love one another. What could not be done under the law is now able to be done under grace. And when someone says, well, I'm so glad I live under grace, not under law. Really? Because if you're living under grace, you have to love your neighbor as yourself. That's a harder calling because now you're accountable to it and you have to do it. You have to love your neighbor as you. You have to love your brother. Verses 9 to 11 tell us you can't love God and hate his people. I carried a cartoon a while from Peanuts with Lucy talking to probably to Linus and she says that classic line, I love mankind, it's people I can't stand. (laughs) How many have ever felt that way? So again, the contrast is this, pastor, I really love God, but I have a hard time loving people. Wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. You don't love God if you don't love people. You might have an emotional reaction. You might again respond to worship. I'll never forget the Sunday a woman living an aberrant lifestyle came to me at the altar call and wanted to know if our our church would endorse her aberrant lifestyle. And I said, we can't. She said, well, I love God that I feel here, but I'm not willing to give up the way that I'm living. Do you know what that means? You don't really love God because when you love God rightly, it changes the way you live. Is there anyone in the house? And if you don't love people, don't work harder on loving people. It is too much work. (laughs) What do you do? When you have the love of God on the inside of you, 
it changes the way you see people. I can tell you from my own experience, and many of you could do the same, this, this I know will come as a shock to you, but I've had times where some people have really ticked me off. Anybody else ever been there? Hold up your neighbor's hand. Don't lie about it. Remember, you have to obey the truth. And tried to figure out, you know, how they would behave that way, why they would say that, why they would do that to me. And I've never, watch, I've never found a way that thinking about them has helped me love them. I just get more mad. But I have discovered that when I go into my prayer closet, <laughs> and I go into the presence of the Father, some things begin to melt away. My anger goes away. My wounds go away. He begins to cleanse me because when you are really full of the love of God, you'll love the people around you. And when you don't love the people around you, don't work at loving them. Work at loving him because a byproduct of that is loving the people around you. Does that make any sense at all? Not loving people will destroy community. <laughs> Oh, I don't want to bring people in my house. They say mean things. You know, it's simpler. And it, I'll agree. It is easy. It's easy for me to love the whole world when I'm sitting in my office with the doors shut, listening to Southern Gospel Quartet music and loving Jesus. I love everybody. <laughs> but then I have to come out of that door. I have to come out of that door. And the staff will tell you, this is tongue-in-cheek. But they just know I hate this. And I think they do it on purpose sometimes. Come out of my office and someone will say, hey, pastor, just so you know. Whatever's going to follow that is rarely good. And it's like, we're not asking for your input here. Just think you should be informed. Because the building is on fire, just so you know. I'm just telling you that how... Watch, how do you perfect love? By rubbing shoulders with people. Your perfecting of love doesn't happen in the worship service or your prayer closet. It happens when from the worship service and your prayer closet, you get out and interact with people. And that's where the test of love is. When that guy cuts you off, I'm still working on that because I just want to run him in the ditch. You're not as spiritual as you're pretending right now. I'm just telling you. There's an area. People show me where the love of Christ has not been perfected in me. And I wouldn't know that if I didn't interact with people. Because if you say you love God but don't love your brother, you're a liar. So don't work on loving people. Work on loving God until you love people. The great theologian Kierkegaard wrote, we need to put away our fears and stop living a life shielded against responsibility before the truth. We must enter into a fullness of life where everything we do is done in relation to the eternal. Uh, let me read that last sentence again. I would love uh, to, for all of us to memorize that. We must enter into a fullness of life. We must enter into a fullness of life 
where everything we do is done in relation to the eternal. Thinking about everything we do in light of who he is and what he's done and heaven being our home. Third, then, we need to grow in grace. If you're going to have love perfected, you have to grow. You've got to become more than you are. In verses 12 to 14, he repeats himself when he talks about little children, young men, and fathers. And he, what, is he, what is he describing there? He's not just randomly using an example. He is saying that there should be a development of growth. There should be people in the church that are little children. And you can't expect them to be mature adults. They're growing in their faith. They're little children. And he's not talking about little children in the nursery or in a filling station. He's talking about those that are new to the faith. And then he describes those that are young men. So little children would represent for us new converts, new believers. Young men represent spiritual adults. Men and women who have conquered some things. They have grown in their faith. And they are doing the work of the kingdom. And then 30 says, then there are those that are senior men and women. They're mentors and elders that have scars on their back and have walked some roads. So he's saying that there's at least three levels of growth. There's little children, young adults, and senior adults. And they're all needed in the kingdom spiritually. <laughs> I'm sorry. To say this, it's just popped in my head. I'm, I'm weighing it over right now. But there's not a 20-year-old alive who knows as much as I know. Oh, there may be areas they know more than I know. But when you put the wealth of what I've learned and the experiences they've had, there is something about gray hair that says you should have learned something along the way. So I'm, I'm not trying to be mean in that. I'm just saying that the older you get, how many of you know, the older you get, the less you know. You realize everything's not black and white. I had all the answers when I was 20. But what happens with a 20-year-old, I'm going to tell you what some of us... As our hair gets gray, we don't have the same energy we used to have. And it's the young adults that are chomping at the bit to get the work done. So elders, listen to me. If you'd quit holding on to you doing everything and become a mentor, you can help them do more for the kingdom. And if the elders are mentoring the adults, then you're going to have more little children coming into the kingdom. Amen. Because a church needs to have all of those. A church just filled with old people <laughs> would be depressing. <laughs> a church filled with little children just little children would be chaos. And with just young adults, doesn't have the depth and the width. He's saying to us, in the natural, in illustration, just like you need those in the natural, you need those in the spiritual. And you should look at your life. Where are you on that trajectory? You can't stay a little child all the time. Some people need to grow up. And some young adults need to develop some wisdom. And some senior adults need to get out of your preferences and start mentoring a younger generation. Hello? Hello? 
So what are the marks of those? What's the mark of a little child? They know their sins are forgiven and they know the Father. They have a saving faith and a relationship with God and they need to grow from that. Loving Jesus and being born again is primary, but that's not where we stop. It's where we start. It's the beginning of a journey. What about young adults, young men and, not, and young women? What about them? Well, they've overcome the evil ones. So they've moved from knowing Jesus, knowing the Father, and knowing their sins are forgiven, that they face the devil. They've fought some battles. They've got some scars. And they've won over him. They're warriors of the faith. They understand what it means to be overcomers. And it's interesting to me about the mentors, the elders, it doesn't change. There are two lists there. It doesn't change between the two lists. It says the exact same thing twice, only about the elders. They know him who is from the beginning. Everything is lived in light of the eternal. <laughs> because the closer you get to the end of the road, the more important heaven becomes. Elders are those who understand there's more at stake than the battle today. There's something bigger than this that we have to see. And we need seniors who can say, I've been a little further down the road, and in light of eternity, this doesn't matter. And in light of eternity, this really matters. And let me tell you the battle that I fought. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So... Children are only taken up with what Jesus has done for them. Young adults are all about, spiritually, young adults are all about beating up the devil and winning the victory. And seniors are saying, I'm looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. There's a whole eternal kingdom out there. So where should you be going? You should be growing in your faith. And the odd thing is, your spiritual development isn't related to your chronological age. You can be 70 years old and come to Christ for the first time and be a little child. And you can be a middle-aged adult and have discovered some of the depths of what God is doing. What is illustrated here is if you want to be perfected in love, you have to be growing in grace. That's how love develops. Where are you compared to where you were a year ago? Are you growing in love? And, and not to just use Mother's Day over and over this morning, but moms, you know how love has to change, right? I love holding someone else's baby when it's fed, happy, and a clean diaper. <laughs> yeah, how many of you know? You look at that little baby in the crib and you think, what an angel. And at two in the morning, you think, what a devil. <laughs> Can't be satisfied. Nothing's going to satisfy them. And then they become early teenagers and they are embarrassed that you even exist. Uh, do you have to drive me to school? Can you let me off two blocks away? Don't holler my name out, and certainly don't kiss me goodbye when I get out of the car. <laughs> what, happens, what happens when we raise children is love has to change, and when love has to change, it starts to grow. Are you, and then you learn how much love is willing to sacrifice. Because I will love my children no matter what they do. 
I won't affirm them and I won't approve them and I won't enable them, but I will always love them. And then you learn how to love in spite of. Do you see what I'm saying? As you get older and then you become <laughs> a senior and you get grandkids. And then you realize the truth of the bumper sticker. Grandkids are God's reward for not killing my own kids. <laughs> and it changes again. What I'm saying, there's a natural progression in love in life where love grows and it changes. Married couples, your love today isn't the same as it was on your wedding day or there is something wrong with you. See, well, it's not as exciting as it was when we got married. It's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be more, it's not supposed to be more fireworks. It's supposed to be a deeper well. Hello? Becomes deeper and richer and fuller and greater because you learn some things. What I'm trying to illustrate to you is that love is perfected as we grow. We need to continue to grow in grace. Then verses 15 to 17, if you really want your love perfected, you've got to walk in the will of God. That's different than obedience. It's walking in the will of God. Do not love the world. It's ways or it's methods. You cannot love both. The, the, the world is not from God. The world is founded upon lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And we fight the sin when we need to move into loving Jesus more. You know, Eve fought this same battle in the garden. She saw that the fruit on the tree was good for food. It was the lust of the flesh. She saw that it was pleasing to the eyes. That's the lust of the eyes. And then she saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. That's the pride of life. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life will pull you away from the Father. And lust always brings death. Obedience brings eternity. When you obey God, you, you've entered into that which is eternal. So what are we to obey? Loving one another. What is it we obey? Loving one another. And the world is so contrary to that. How so? Anybody ever hear of a cancel culture? That's of the world. I don't care what religious leaders say whatever they want to say. When we cancel each other out, that's of the world. When our relationship to people is based on skin color, that's of the world. Because we love, because of one color, the red blood of Christ that covers us all. And we're more divided than we have ever been in the name of unity. And when you begin to study some of the things that are happening uh, below the surface, culturally, philosophically, theoretically, working its way up into practical expression, we're headed toward another complete meltdown of a culture. We're no longer the melting pot at all. We're all a bunch of separate pots gardening our, gardening our own burner. We're not interacting. I hear things said on the on the on the television on the internet that I think there's no way I could even say those things and I don't want to get into a race discussion I'm just tired of having to worry about what I should say to you because of your skin color 
We ought to just love each other in Jesus' name and be a family so that if I say the wrong thing to you because of your skin color, don't cancel me out. Talk to me. I have a, a black man I've become kind of a friend with through a retail business. And uh, he's talking about the age of his children. And they're all spread out. And he said, you know what they say? Uh, black don't crack. Now, that's a line that means black tends to not age like white. And I get, but I don't know what to say. I was paralyzed like, oh, dear Jesus, just kill me now. <laughs> because whatever I say next is going to be wrong. I don't want to live in that fear. But I'm going to go back to him now that I build a relationship and say, will you mentor me a little bit? How did you expect me to respond? What, what should I have said? Share with me from your world what would have been okay. Let's build a bond rather than build a, dig a chasm. Are you hearing me? Because the world is destroying us. It's dividing us. And it's built on lust. What is lust? Getting what I want to use for the wrong reasons. And when we're wrapped up in that, it's going to destroy us. You have to walk in the will of God. And I'm looking forward to the day when out of every nation, kindred, tribe, and tongue, we will gather around the throne. And forgive me for saying this, but there won't be a Hispanic section. There won't be a Caucasian section. There won't be a black section. There won't be an Asian section. There'll just be the heavenly multitude gathered around the throne, singing the praise of the love of God who washed us in his blood. And that's what the church ought to be. We can't walk in the ways of this world. Love grows as we walk in the will of God. We've been called to that. And then verses 18 to 29. I know this is a little longer outline, but I hope you can remember five things or write them down. <laughs> You've got to maintain God's anointing. Oh, church, if there's one thing I could call you to, it's not experiencing his anointing. It's maintaining his anointing. It's not coming in the house of God and feeling his touch. It's walking in his touch. Uh, the same couple, the couple and this man sitting at this table, I really wasn't trying to listen to what they're saying at their table. It was just happenstance that I was leaning toward them. <laughs> and I heard this brother who's of a, another denomination entirely say, we've got to change the mindset that we come to church to worship God. We have to change that. We need to change it to worshipers come to church. You don't come here to worship, you come here because you're a worshiper, which means you've worshiped out there and you're walking in not to get the anointing, but to bring the anointing that abides on your life. You have to maintain the anointing of the spirit. He warns us of deception that will abound in the end times and deception abounds in the present time. Someone did a recent 50 year period and identified 1100 religious leaders all claiming to be Christ. In one 50-year period, they're all around us. The world is changing. Religions are changing. Religions today have embraced things that would have been deemed unthinkable even 50 years ago. How are we going to make it? Oh, verses 20 to 21, 27 says you have an anointing. 
Keep the truth in you and live in the truth. You have an anointing. <laughs> oh, wasn't that, wasn't that worship anointed? Wasn't that preaching anointed is the wrong question. It was, did you come in anointed? Did you go into town anointed? Did you walk through Walmart anointed? You just never know when an opportunity to share with someone will happen. And I wasn't planning. When, when we go to lunch on, on that particular day of the week, I don't, I don't go to minister. I go to spend time with my wife. But then doors open. And you have to be ready. So this guy randomly says to me, I mean, without even prodding, my wife died in March of cancer during COVID. I can't say, hey, could you just hold that thought? I need to go pray about that for a while and see what God wants me to say. It's too late. Is anybody hearing me right now? You need to maintain that anointing. And there's something that will resonate in you when someone is telling an untruth or preaching something that isn't real, that you'll recognize that. What is that? That's the love of God because he doesn't want you to be deceived. And the more discerning you are, the deeper the love of God is because I can recognize what isn't him because I love him. And I'll not be deceived because the Holy Spirit abides on me. I've had people say to me, Pastor, I listened to this guy and it just felt wrong. Listen to that voice. Listen to that voice. Deceivers can't do what is right. So it all comes down to this. Pastor Nathan, if you'd come. It all comes down to this. Love is perfected in community. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, even alone, it's hard for us. And I know it's an old, old story. But how many of you remember the story of the guy that was shipwrecked? For years, they finally found him. He built three buildings. What's this building? It's a building I live in. What's this building? It's a building I go to church. What's that building? It's a building I used to go to church. <laughs> it's been around forever. Sometimes it's hard to even love yourself by yourself. But love was never intended by God to be an individual relationship with you and him. It was intended by God to be an experience you have with him that's lived out in community. Because the only way to really know if you love him is can you love people. And if you hate everybody and everything that comes out of your mouth is negative and you're complaining about everybody that you've come in contact with, the love of God doesn't dwell in you. It just doesn't. Oh, but I love Jesus. No, you don't. You can't hate the family and love the Father. You can't love the head, Jesus, and hate his body. It's lived out in community. And the Holy Spirit is present to help us love. <laughs> I've had times. How many of you have pet peeves? Come on, you have a pet peeve. You keep it at home in a cage and you feed it and water it. Bring it out when you need it. I can't tell you how many times God has allowed a pet peeve in human flesh to sit right beside me. Because I need to get more of the love of God where that irritation doesn't bother me anymore. Hello? I 
might tell you what they are, but then you're going to test me and I don't want to go be tested. So my prayer this morning is pretty simple. Isolation and quarantine spiritually is a poverty-stricken way to live. The abundance of the love of God happens in community. And um, one of our staff members said something to me about district council. Said it may not have been the best run. Things There's always things you can do better. But there was such a sense of community because we've not been able to get together for two years. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's family. It's family. It just feels good to be with family. Love is lived out in community. So let's stand together. There may be someone in your life that you have a hard time loving. <laughs> oh dear Jesus, I hate what I'm about to say. I hate that. But it's where love deepens and it grows in community. So as Pastor Nathan leads us, I just want to end this way this morning. Moms, you represent the love of God and the love of ministry and you're the heartbeat of the household. But for all of us, we need to grow in love to one another. Would you just ask him in the next couple of minutes, Jesus Help me be so in love with you that I love the people around me. Just ask him for that this morning. In moments like these I sing out a song I sing out a love song to Jesus Jesus. 
days I lift my hands in moments like these. I lift up my hands. I lift up my hands to you, Lord. Singing, I love you. for a minute had a chance to share that this week but I, I know this may sound terrible to you but when I was growing up I was in junior high I determined I didn't want to be my dad just going to work every day and coming home mad I wanted to do something that mattered it didn't mean I didn't love him I didn't want to be him but over the years I watched that continue to erode and erode and erode it was easy for him to be angry it was hard for him to love. And one year before he died, at Christmas, we went up to see him, and I felt like God had spoken to me to hug my dad and tell him I loved him. I told my wife I was going to do that. <laughs> and she said, you don't have to do that because she knew it wasn't going to work well. So I'm, I mean, think about this. I am shaking about telling my dad I love him. I'm sh my palms are sweating. I'm shaking. We're at the door. It's now or never. And I said, Dad, I love you. And I reached out and I gave him a big hug. And I want you to know I love you. He stood like this and didn't say a word. That's what happens when you're not perfected in love. And I will not end my life as a bitter, angry statue. I'm not going to get bitter as I get older. I want to grow in love. Are you hearing me? I'm going to grow in love. So let's make that our goal that in community, we're going to love more, not less. So glad you're here this morning. We really do love you.